Parker Palmer, the great Quaker writer and theologian, lays out these two paradigms of life, this bedrock question. Do we live in a universe of scarcity or a, uni a universe of abundance? And he says that actually, whether or not the universe is one of scarcity or abundance is not the question. The question is, do we live as if we were in a universe of scarcity or abundance? That so much of our lives will be informed by how we answer that question. Of course, Palmer suggests that we live in a universe of abundance, and we should live as if we were in a universe of abundance. This is a very countercultural idea. So much of our day-to-day -day lives is caught up in this question, do we have enough? There was, a <laughs> uh, there was an advice column, uh, columnist this week who, the, the question that was asked was, when will I have enough money? Uh, when will I have enough money? When will I have enough time? When will I have enough health? When, when, when? Well, the answer is to when will I have enough money, when will I have enough time, is probably you won't. But a turn to abundance requires a different paradigm, a different mindset. It requires that we look at what we have with joy. That the, answer, that the question is not, when will I have, but it is a statement, it is enough. Now, it's really important, as we start this, to, to say what this is not. You know, when you get up from a pulpit um, and say something along the lines of simply moving to another mindset, our material circumstances will sound different, will feel different. That, that sounds like a certain branch of American Christianity, right? You might have heard it. There's, there's a branch of Christianity, and I'm using that term loosely, that holds as a core tenet that material wealth and physical health are directly correlated to holiness. That is, if you live a righteous life, if you give money to charity, that charity is usually the pastor's church, God will reward you with health and material good fortune. This has evolved over time. The power of positive thinking is an early version of it. Positive visualization is a more secular version of it. Oh Lord, won't you buy me a Mercedes Benz <laughs> is a sung version of it. My, my grandmother's favorite writer, Norman Vincent Peale, laid some of the groundwork for it, uh, but I think he would be horrified to see what it's become. It's called the, the prosperity gospel. I, I don't call many things blasphemy. That's not really a Unitarian thing to do, but, but that's not Christianity. That's not moral, nor is it realistic. It's poor theological practice because we know that you can live a good life and sometimes you get sick. And you can live a bad life and be rewarded in material wealth 
Those two things are completely different. So we're not talking about that this morning. But this idea of abundance that we're talking about instead is different. It's, a, it's the mindset that we have enough. This discussion of, of Parker Palmer's where he's talking about scarcity and abundance happens in a much broader conversation that he's having in the book, The Active Life. And he talks about the, the miracle story in the Gospel of Luke where the crowd is fed with loaves and fishes. The broad parts of this story are pretty familiar. Jesus and his disciples have been teaching across Galilee for several months. They're tired, but they're starting to get a following. They go off across a lake to relax for an evening, maybe share some wine with each other, practice self-care. But instead, a crowd follows them across the lake. And Jesus, being Jesus, teaches the crowd through the day and into the night. And then there arises a question of how to feed everyone. This is an elemental question of church life. How do we feed volunteers? <laughs> the, the disciples are horrified. Jesus says, how much do we have to feed this crowd of several thousand? The, the disciples say, well, we have uh, five loaves of bread and two fish. And Jesus says, okay, now you go feed them. So Parker Palmer writes, then the text says that Jesus blessed and broke the five loaves and the two fish and had the disciples set them before the people. It does not say that the loaves and fish had magically multiplied by the time they left Jesus's hands. We might imagine that what happened instead is that Jesus and the disciples simply modeled the act of sharing for the crowd by giving thanks for what little they had and offering it to anyone who wanted to eat. And as this happened, perhaps the people gathered in the small groups realized that they too had food they could share with one another. Perhaps they found themselves moved to emulate the generosity of the disciples rather than hoard their scarce resources. In fact, it might have been hard to do otherwise, sitting there on the grass in a circle of friends and family and neighbors, watching this beleaguered little band suddenly giving away their own meager rations. Suddenly, through a communi community ignited by the example of generosity, scarcity turns into abundance. It happens not by magic, but by the lived encounter of people who have been helped to, to remember each other and themselves, who have been brought back to what Shang Tzu calls their right minds by an action in which abundance is assumed and thus generated. Palmer describes a miracle story that does not have a miracle. There is no magic in that version of the loaves and fishes story. No magic other than what a community does when it assumes abundance instead of scarcity. This is not God coming down and creating fish 
from thin air, the theology of prosperity. This is a humanist recognition that what we have is often enough, even when it does not look like it. So what does scarcity look like in our lives? My guess is it looks a lot like the disciples. There is never quite as much as we wish there was for all the things that we want to do. It's, uh, it is an irony of, of uh, the church calendar that we're preaching on abundance this, mo- this month and we are working through the church budget this month. <laughs> and I can start listing off things that, that I want money for us to do. Uh, we want a new projector for this space. Uh, I want a chair in my office that cradles my still slightly herniated back. That one we're definitely doing. <laughs> we want the funding to end racism tomorrow if money could do that. We want a new sanctuary right out the back door, right over there. We want a yearly budget of several million dollars (laughs) so that, of course, we have to do an outside audit every year. We know that not all of those things are going to happen this year. That's, That's okay. That's okay. There's a story about how we how we count abundance. A group of people were in a workshop trying to, to learn what it means to think of abundance instead of scarcity. And, uh, and the person running the workshop handed us a tomato. And he said, how many seeds are in this tomato? Various responses. Some imagined what a tomato looks like when you cut it open. Some used prior knowledge. Uh, some of us, I love this one as a statistician, suggested cutting the tomato into quarters, counting the seeds in one quarter, and multiplying it by four. <laughs> there are enough seeds, was the answer. There are enough. Enough seeds that if you wanted to, you could plant them this year, have enough to eat tomatoes in the fall, and enough to give seeds to your neighbor. There is enough. We had gotten stuck on the numbers and missed the point of the question. So one of the ways I imagine us moving into thinking about abundance is to recognize that that we have enough in many, many ways. In my report to the board this month, which I was finishing on Friday night, I, I comment that I have rarely seen a congregation in such financial health all the things that we have. We have a great staff. The renovation is almost paid off. We are growing in our capacity to show up. Last week, we asked for for 40 volunteers from this pulpit. My understanding is that we have 44 and that we're looking for more. People who had just showed up to this congregation for the first time last Sunday left and said, how can we be involved? We want to go to the Center for People in Need with this place. I look out here and this is a full sanctuary on Sunday morning. This is a remarkable place. This is an abundant place. This this idea of scarcity or abundance is very real to me. I was going to use a quote by Forrest Church here, um, but that is, that is complicated for a lot of reasons this week. So instead, I'll just talk about myself. 
some of you probably heard this story during candidating week. The search committee has certainly heard it. Um, I applied to seminary from a hospital. I got really sick, had Hodgkin's lymphoma. I had just gotten back from Peace Corps. I was, I was really frustrated with life. It felt like things were not working out and they weren't going to work out, that there was never enough energy, health, or money in my life to either do the things that I wanted to do or fix the world the way I thought it should be fixed. It was a time of, of scarcity in every sense of the word in my life. And I remember sitting in a hospital bed thinking, God, okay, I can do this. I can, I can be frustrated and sad at all the things that I've lost, all the things that I don't have. But I don't want that to be my life. I want to be thankful. I want to wake up and see beauty. And so it felt like a paradigm shift. I have somehow been lucky enough in my life that it seems to have stuck. It is a world of beauty that we live in. I live an abundant life. Sure, I, I still get my CT scans every year. If immune systems were federally regulated, I would be turning mine in <laughs> under the lemon law. <laughs> but there is beauty all around us. In this community, we get to dedicate babies. Each day, no matter how exhausted we feel, how unsure that we will be able to make ends meet, we live in this world, a, a world that you can see in a grain of sand, heaven in a wildflower, infinity in the palm of our hand, and eternity in an hour. What would our collective lives look like in that paradigm of abundance? There's an old uh, saying in Yiddish, Man tracht und God lacht. Man plans and God laughs. <laughs> I'm preaching on abundance this month. Last week was life in bulk. This week, scarcity and abundance. And these are the first two sermons I have in the entirety of my ministry uh, that I've finished on Saturday night. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I want to finish today not with any soaring conclusion but with a poem by John O'Donohue, a blessing by John O'Donohue. A colleague of mine is preaching on a similar theme and yesterday suggested it. And it spoke to me this week. It was what I needed to hear to see abundance in my life. I hope that it speaks to you. John O'Donohue writes this blessing. When the rhythm of the heart becomes hectic, time takes on the strain until it breaks, then all the unattended stress falls in on the mind like an endless increasing weight. The light in the mind becomes dim. 
things that you could take in your stride before now become laborsome events of will. Weariness invades the spirit. Gravity begins falling inside you. The tide you have never valued has gone out, and you are marooned on unsure ground. Something within you has closed, and you cannot push yourself back to life. You have been forced to enter empty time. The desire that drove you has relinquished. There is nothing now to do but rest and patiently learn to receive the self you have forsaken for the race of days. At first, your thinking will darken. Sadness take over like the listless weather. The flow of unwept tears may frighten you. You have traveled too fast. Now your soul has come to take you back. Take refuge in your senses. Open up to all the small miracles you've rushed through. Become inclined to watch the way of rain when it falls slow and free. Imitate the habit of twilight, taking time to open the well of color that fostered the brightness of the day. Draw alongside the silence of the stone until its calmness can claim you, be excessively gentle with yourself. Stay clear of those vexed in spirit. Learn to linger around someone with ease who feels that they have all the time in the world. Gradually, you will return to yourself, having learned a new respect for your heart and the joy that dwells far within slow time. It is enough, some days, to draw alongside the silence of stone, to feel the joy that dwells far within time. We live in an abundant world. We live in a world of beauty. Just seeing that for one moment, it is enough. Amen. Amen.